Welcome back to the Purple Worm with me, John from Red Dice Diaries, Dave Aldridge of Deeper Percentile, Pete Jones of Dragons Are Real, and of course Colin Green from Spike Pit. This evening we're going to be talking about another myth that I personally have found particularly interesting and I think has a lot to offer RPGs, and that is the legend of the Green Children of Woolpit. <laughs> And essentially, the legend of the green children of Woolpit involves two children, a boy and a girl, with unusual green-coloured skin, who appeared in the village of Woolpit, which is in Sussex, sometime in the 12th century, according to the legends. There were only green foods at first, and they talked in this strange sort of babbling language that only they really seemed to understand. The Anthology of English Folk Tales by the Society for Storytelling reveals a version of the legend which says that they arrived during the reign of King Stephen, which is about 1135 to 1154, and they were discovered by two villagers from Woolpit having fallen into this bramble-filled pit. And the cries of the, the children drew these villagers over and they found these strange green-coloured children. According to the anthology, the villagers took the children to Sir Richard de Calm, eight miles away at Bardwell, the sort of constable of the area, if you will. Sir Richard gave the villagers some coin for their trouble and promised to raise the children as best as he could. And obviously he was a, a man of some means, so that wouldn't be a problem. Eventually, the children started to eat normal food and the, the sort of green pallor on their skin faded away to a more normal colour. As was the custom of the time, they were both baptised, but unfortunately the young boy, described as being like a bit more sickly than his sister, died soon afterwards. The girl grew up normally, although her behaviour was deemed pretty sort of scandalous by the standards of the time. When she learnt to speak English, which surprised everyone, she just seemed to pick up the language, she told people that they'd come from St Martin's Land, where apparently everyone had the same green-coloured skin as them. The Anthology of English Folk Tales relates that Sir Richard tried communicating with the children at first in numerous different languages, including English, Norman French and Flemish. Uh, and there's been a few suggestions, sort of as they've tried to put this in a historical context, that... The children were Flemish immigrants. There was a big wave of them that arrived in England during the 12th century, and they were persecuted when Henry II became king in 1154. A large number of these immigrants were killed near Bury St Edmunds during the Battle of Fornham, and it was suggested by Paul Harris in an article for 14 times around about 1998 that the children might have been orphans from this battle. Since they couldn't understand Flemish, it doesn't really seem that's possible or realistic. Whatever realistic might be, I mean, we're talking about a legend about green children after all. In the book Cultural Diversity in the British Middle Ages by Geoffrey Jerome Cohen, the author theorises that the story might be a sort of a distorted representation of historians growing concern with increased diversity in the populace of the nation and he believes that the story might actually and you'll like this pete the story might actually be obliquely referring to welsh immigrants whether that's the case or not i don't know well, does, Fl Fl flemish and welsh are two strange languages so you never know indeed you uh, there's quite a few variations on the tale. Um, some describe the children entering a strange cave uh, through which they found their way to Woolpit, and others describe St Martin's Land as a place where the sun never shone and it was always eternal twilight. 
Some have suggested the stories related to the body of law concerning fairy realms, changelings, stuff like that, and strange other worlds populated by creatures that are like us in some ways, but vastly different in others. And like I say, it's a fairly short sort of legend. Uh, it's cro There's numerous different variations on it, different versions of it, etc. But I thought it was an interesting thing that potentially had a lot of use for RPGs. So, I mean, as we all know, the the concept of strange visitors from other planes is is a pretty much a given and slightly tired trope in most RPG systems, particularly games like D&D, where you've got lots of different planes of existence, your elemental planes, concordant opposition, stuff like that. And they're all sort of in this loose cosmology. You know, there's magic portals, cosmic events that bring them closer together, powerful wizards and other such things, all of which can sort of permanently or momentarily join the different planes together, allowing people to travel between them. And obviously in sort of, I think it was from 4th edition onwards, there's like the Feywild and the Shadowfell. And the Feywild is essentially like the D&D version of like the fairy realms, uh, linked with... Um, fairy circles, standing stones, stuff like that, allowing you to travel between the two at particular times of year. So, in my opinion, the, the main aspect that makes it interesting is the children didn't arrive as, like, sort of conquerors from, like, another place. They weren't summoned by, like, an evil sorcerer or anything like that. They, they just seemed to have arrived by pure pure happenstance basically um and they were just discovered by these villagers who weren't sort of like oh these are horrible monsters you know that we've got to dispatch they're just like these are two small children who are a bit bewildered they don't really know what's going on we should try and look after them and the children seemed as confused as any by their arrival in sort of 12th century england so they're taken to this local lord and they're raised and then they gradually get absorbed and sort of acclimatized to the society they find themselves in. So I think that's an interesting potential for an RPG. Quite often when we think sort of summoned creatures or stuff like that, it's some sort of evil wizard summoned like a horrible monster and the players have to go forth and defeat it or something horrible has come out of a fairy circle or something like that. Whereas I think there's potentially a lot of mileage for having, I suppose, extra planar visitors that aren't just, you know, we are evil monsters here to kill everything face our mighty challenge rating in combat. So I think you could get quite a few interesting stories out of these these strange creatures turning up, and you could almost turn it into a, a bit of a sort of mystery plot for your RPGs. You know, in the, the legend, we've got the, the children. At first, no one understands them. No one knows where they've come from. Even when they learn to speak English, no one knows what this St. Martin's land is. They only get little glimpses and little bits of information that the children can tell them. And as the children became more acclimatised to normal sort of English society of the time, they started to forget about where they'd come from as well. Yeah, I've got a couple of questions on there, John. Um, where did this all come from? I mean, in your... You're reading on it. Did it? Does it sound like it's a proper legit story? Well, I mean, what? I've heard of this legend before um, in a few different places, and like I said, there's a few different versions of it. The, the reason I actually thought of doing it for this is, as you guys know, um, Glyn Seal, uh, who does Midlands, is releasing a sort of folk magic supplement that he's been kind enough to sort of share as a sneak preview of. And the this particular legend is mentioned in there. And like I say, I've read it before, and I was originally looking at doing something on the, the Green Man for this, but that's like a huge body of different lore, which would take far too long to go into, far more than one sort of small episode. 
But in this sort of um, folk magic of the Middlelands supplement that's coming out, there's a mention of these green children, and that made me think of the legend. Now, I can't speak for whether it's actually any basis in fact or not, mm. but it's definitely a widespread legend, because like I say, I, I, I've read a few different versions even before sort of doing the reading for this, and there's at least four of the sort of like folklore books on my shelf have like chapters or mentions of this legend in it so it's clearly sort of it's been around for quite some time yeah, it's popular yeah. I, I tell you what it reminds me of i don't you remember there was a film in the 60s i think the, uh, john carpenter remade it in the 90s or the village of the damned where oh, yeah. the uh, the kids were like these really creepy kids whether we had like mind control and all or talk to each other telepathically um so. it's based on the midwich cuckoo isn't it yeah, yeah it is yeah that reminds me of that i mean I believe there was, um, I don't know if anyone remembers the old um, TV series, Round the Twist. There was um, there, there was an episode in that where they find like a, a small child in like a cabbage patch and he's this like strange sort of like purpley, like bluey colour and he won't eat any of the foods. Now, whether that's based on this legend in particular, again, it's that sort of idea of sort of stumbling across someone who's alien in a way. They, they're clearly not of this world, but they're not just a monster. They're more sort of like a, a puzzle to be unravelled. And I think whilst it can be challenging to run sort of puzzles and mysteries in RPGs, I think if it's done well, it could be far more compelling than just simply like a wizard summons up evil creature from elemental plane of whatever and, and it's always a bit of a dilemma for the players isn't it if you've got uh, sort of potentially evil kids a lot of players are like oh you want to kill them but can you kill kids oh. well let's see what's what's cool is that they're a moral mystery yeah i mean the, so the green color is significant in folklore isn't it green green means all sorts of things green means of the forest it means of the fae it can mean of the devil it's the devil's color and then you've got, yeah, I'm interested that you talked about the Green Man. I was thinking the Green Knight. Yeah, course. exactly. Um, is there, which is the film, I wonder if the film will come out. We're supposed to have a film of that. I don't know if that will make it. The, the Green Knight as well, obviously, that's also a moral tale, like a sort of moral yeah. dilemma, you know, with yeah. a challenge like, oh, if you, I'll let you chop my head off if I can come back in a year and cut your head off. And then the knight thinks, oh, yeah, well, you'll be dead, so no problems. Like, chops his head off and he sticks it under his arm and, like, right, I'll see you in a year. And off he goes. And then the knight obviously could choose to just run away, but then he'd be breaking his word to the green knight, so he turns up and he, he, he sort of, like, puts his head on the chopping block, like, literally and sort of metaphorically as well. So, I mean, obviously the, the thing about a mystery like, like the green children is, obviously, even your sort of low-level D&D characters they've got resources that the people in the legends don't have so are oh, these these green children can't speak a language we know does comprehend languages spells there's stuff like that there's a lot of resources yeah, but, you could bring but, but what if they don't work i mean yeah. if, it, if you pass comprehend languages and it doesn't work then suddenly you've got something alien now you've got something really weird where the ordinary magic, the go-to magic, doesn't work. It sounds like it. This Martin's Land place yeah. seems to me it's unlikely that it, you know this magic would work. It's put. It's just another place, isn't it? Uh, well, that's it. I mean, even if you used in this legend, if you used comprehend languages and you understood the children before they started speaking English, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we come from St Martin's Land. It's a land of like eternal twilight. Everyone's green there." Okay, so you've got that information. What do you then do with it? Because, yeah, you've, you've got the information a bit earlier, but you still have to decide how you go about investigating that information and what you can do with it. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you, you know, your characters are going to want to go there, aren't they? So it's like, yeah. or where did these kids come from? Let's trace back where they... And let's see if we can get there and find out more. It's, 
it's a bit of a potentially a hook, isn't it? Um, right. Right. Or maybe they herald more to come. Absolutely don't want to go there, and you don't absolutely don't want their parents to come and collect come them. On. Maybe you have to take <laughs> them back quick. Um, yeah, can I yeah. can I ask because I I like colour themes so the, yeah. the the green children the green man the green knight I like the purple um, the significance of purple I, just green you were talking about the Midlands green means something specific in Midlands doesn't it so well, the fact the, that they're green is yeah I mean the, the the main sort of source of like the green coloration in the Midlands is in that campaign setting there's a there's effectively at the sort of core of the earth there's like this chunk of this arcane sort of almost radioactive material called gloomium which is like bright green in colour. It's almost like the warp stone of the setting to use like a sort of old Warhammer term. And sort of like bits of um, what's called like medium, uh, which is like a metallic ore related to that, are found sort of below the ground and it has strange arcane properties. And it's implied, although never stated outright in those books, that the presence of this, uh, this gloomium and this medium is what's caused the sort of proliferation of sort of the green coloration throughout the setting. And although it can be quite useful, the reason I describe it as radioactive is because almost like warpstone, it does have these sort of mutating, like twisting properties because there's these arcane, it's almost like radioactive like emanations that come from pure gloomium. So they have to like alloy it with other metals and various yeah. things. I think the gloomium's a really sort of good plot device because you can just sort of like really twist and weird things up, can't you? And sort of blame it on, on, on the gloomium all the time. So I think it's a great little plot device. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the things that first attracted me to like the, the first Middlelands book they released is that the very, when I was sort of like flicking through like the, the preview PDF they put out, there's a, there's a, a sort of little chart that gives you alternate words for describing green. Because like Glenn Sears, like, oh, you shouldn't just be like, this is green, that's green, the other's green, everything's green. There's lots of different almost like a, like a little mini thesaurus entry of like different words you can use to describe the color green which i, I quite enjoyed and like a, like dave i quite like my color themes but you have to find a way to vary the description rather than just keep using the same words all the time so when when you first see that list you f you think it's like a joke but yeah. there is so much green in that campaign it actually becomes useful <laughs> yeah well, Sorry, Dave, I, that game, I was going to make purple a big thing, so I went through, I had about half a page, I went through my thesauruses and found about half a page worth of different ways of saying purple so that I could um, just drop it in. So, okay, so now I, I was still chatting a bit about, I think this would be good for like a mystery plot line, but I, I do think, I think mystery plot lines are a great thing because obviously if you're like a combat character... You've got lots of opportunity to get into combat in like your typical sort of like role-playing game. If you're a yeah. magic user, you've got plenty of time to cast your spells and whatnot. If you're a cleric, you're obviously healing people. You've got all your different spells and stuff like that. Whereas if you're one of the more sort of social characters or, you know, you're like a, a sort of research-based character, then not, not in all games, but in some games, it can be more difficult for, for your character to sort of get their spotlight time. Now, obviously, you can fit things in. So, like, you know, if you're going to be getting into a fight with a particular enemy, you can like, research them, look for their weaknesses and stuff like that. And you can find ways of doing it. But I think things like mystery plot lines are a great way for, like, the slightly more social characters and the more sort of research-based characters to sort of get their time to shine effectively. Even the rogues and thieves can sometimes not really get their moments. A mystery and some research gives them the chance for some covert ops. 
yeah. as well. I think probably the reason that mystery settings don't get used as much is because they can be a little bit more difficult to run. I mean, if you want to run a good mystery plot that's going to engage your players and sort of keep them interested, it can be quite difficult because it's quite easy as a GM when you've got all the clues and you've got all the information to go, right, I've set, I've set our mystery. It's going to be ri- It's quite easy probably take them an hour or two to to work out no problems we'll get to the climax of the adventure and then i've done this myself when you run it the players reach a point and they're like they don't know what to do now uh, and i've seen this a lot in sort of like call of cthulhu star games yeah it's, you know, the, where, classic. Yeah, it's you, the classic you, you miss a couple of clues or you maybe make a wrong yeah. assumption you, you hit a dead end and you're like I've, I've no idea what to do and obviously if you've got like a skillful gm they can sort of finesse that and they can keep things moving but I, I think I think that's more of a problem, don't you think, in like published adventures where you've got like something laid out and the GM thinks, Oh man, I'm trying to follow this 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 scenario. When you when if you're making up something or it's your own creation, that's not really a, a problem, is it? At that good comment from Evil Jeff on the Twitch says, uh, "I think you have to be a person who likes reading mysteries to be able to run mysteries in games effectively." Yeah, I mean, certainly one of the one of the things I found when I've been sort of running um, mystery plot lines is if I if I get a mystery and I've got all the clues set out and I've got it all laid out and I think, yeah, that looks pretty easy, pretty obvious. I then make it even easier yeah, because yeah. It, it's it's very easy when you've got when you're sort of in the mindset you've created this thing you've got all the information spread out in front of you of course it's easy for for me as yeah, a gm yeah. to solve it whereas i've been in so many games and i mean i'm playing a call of Cthulhu game that johannes is running at the minute based on like the king in yellow and that's a published scenario and there's been a few bits in that where we've we've got like a little bit stuck or we're not really sure where we're going and as someone who gms a lot i can see where he's sort of pushed mm, things yeah. along and he's made it a bit more yeah. sort of obvious for us which i think comes back to what colin was saying but i think it's more down to individual gms because if you if you've got a gm who's quite happy to say i've got this published scenario but some bits of it obviously need a bit of tweaking or a little bit of finessing to work for my group then that's great whereas if you've got someone who's like no i must rigidly stick 100 percent to this published scenario that's when you can maybe start running into a few more problems i, I think it's well with clues you, you've got to have at least three or four different ways they can get the same clue as well because so you know if, if, if they miss that one clue it can really screw them up can't it yeah i mean generally when i'm sort of yeah. making a mystery thing if i if i go right, right i've made a clue that leads to this i then come up with at least two additional clues mm, that yeah. they can find which will lead to a similar yeah. sort of outcome that's a good plan i like the um uh, lazy dm's way of doing it which is you you have your clues but then you don't locate them anywhere so your clues are listed and you drop them in where appropriate i mean my inclination is always if if uh, if players ask me even vaguely the right kind of question <laughs> then i'll just give them i'll yeah. just give them what they need to keep it moving because yeah. i don't, I've played so many games. I've had bad Cthulhu experiences. In fact, all the Cthulhu experiences I had were bad. And I've just had so many experiences of just, okay, what do we do now? And the GM will go, well, you could go to that place again. It's like, again? We already went there. Yeah, Yeah, he he ends up feeding. Really? You've already been to the clue giver and you've told us we haven't got it. We've got to go back. Come on. Yeah, see, I I actually had a little bit of this. We, We played last night. My brother was running and we came to a couple of doors. We were in this like um, Valley of Kings type scenario, a bunch of different tombs. And it became evident that two of the doors 
were magically locked and he didn't want us going through them. You know, there weren't no busting them, nothing like that. (laughs) There weren't no digging up under the floor. There weren't no mining in down through the ceiling. It was like, you ain't got the magic. Your name's not Dan, you're not coming in. See, I do do think that can be a bit of a problem because it's like, the way way I look at it is, if let's just take the most obvious sort of like obstacle, a locked door, like you were saying. Mm. The way I, you, you quite often come across modules where they're like, you need X key to open this door. And according to the module, that's the way you can open that door. That is all. As a GM, you have to sort of go, if the players are like, oh, well, we've um, we've got this barrel of gunpowder, we're going to put it next to the door, and we're going to set this gunpowder, we're going to blow that door if it's in you. I'll be like, yeah, of course you can. No problems. Yeah. Now, yeah, they, they, they might that might lead on to other complications, but there's no way if someone comes up with a plausible way to sort of get round something or bypass something, I'm going to say, no, you can't do that because the module... No, that's no. right. That's right. And maybe if we could have come up with something, but it was like it was designed to be pretty watertight and that mm. we need to jump through certain hoops. Yeah, that's f- kind of fair enough. But then you think, oh, does that mean that we need to check a few of the other tombs because we, we have got the tools? But no, we didn't have the bloody tools, did we? We had to sort of go back to town five days back. Well, do you just go... The party is there. They cannot advance the adventure. Big goodies are locked away. Do we just go, we're pissed off with this, we're just going to go somewhere else? Or when they say, well, clearly we need uh, some scrolls, we need a magic user, we need something like that. Do we think they're back at the town? Let's go back to the town. But do we need to play that all out? No, I don't think so. I think we say that this is what we've done. Mark seven days, mark the rations, mark whatever the the cost of the scrolls and all that, and then let's carry on. We've worked out out the problem. I wouldn't spend the rest of the session doing the overhand thing and all that. On on the Twitch, Judge Blackthorne says, um, go with yes, but... Yeah, if, you yes. just put up, if you just blank wall the players, it, it can really sort of turn them off, can't it? Yeah, and I mean, sort of well, yeah, because that was a dead end in the adventure, and yeah. then that derailed the rest of the session. We had to leave the yeah. adventure site, go back to town, come back. But some people would say that if you if you don't do that, you, you're taking away player agency and mm. stuff because it kind of kind of links in with a quantum ogre and stuff and some people really don't want that it's like if the party comes to the adventure site and they're not equipped to open a magic door you just go with that and play that out and that they, they do have to go back to the town whereas i'm a little bit more like maybe some of you guys are saying maybe throw some tools down so that the players have got the stuff around but at the same time, part of me says, "Well, no. Well, why can't they? Why can't they come to somewhere ill-equipped, have to go away and come back?" But if that was the case, once they've come up with a plan, I don't think I'm going to do the whole overland journey and back. You just say, "Right, you've realised you need this. What's your plan? Let's put that plan into action." And I would like fast track it. So, so, so what you're saying is, just blow the bloody doors off. Yeah, I've just been saying in the, the Twitch <laughs> chat, I was like, is it just me or there? Every time Colin says the word bloody, does he sound like Michael Caine? He's yeah. like, got- I've gone up to this door, and he's only told me I can't blow it off the bloody hinges. You're right. You've got to deal with this now. We're, bloody doors we're, off. We're streamers hey. now, so that's yeah. it. The podcast has hey. gone out the window. Look, it's all, it's all, it's here's all a, here's, here's, here's a question for the worms. This is from <laughs> Uncle J. Raz, and he's asking, as far as OSR stroke ICRPG games go, do you need another mechanic to run mysteries or do you use 
what you've got. I mean, personally, I don't think you really need any sort of hard and fast mechanics. I like Gumshoe, man. I'd throw that in there. Yeah, I mean, there are mechanics you can use to facilitate a a mystery plotline, and there are games like like Gumshoe and stuff like that that are built to specifically to handle that. But Mm. I don't think you really need mechanics to do i mean what is a mystery it's basically you trying to work out what's occurred then finding clues that support your theory or tell you what really has happened so i don't think you particularly need any specific mechanics to do that but you know you've got to sort of keep a bit of an eye on it because it's not an easy thing to do you can't just like oh well i've come up with a trail of 10 clues that lead to this destination and the players will definitely come across them all People definitely run into trouble with it all the time. I bet we've all done it. You thought something was simple and everybody would get it. It's like the puzzles. The puzzles are a nightmare. When when you're a GM, you're sitting there going, come on, guys, I've given you all the clues. Why haven't you got it, haven't you? But you and, sit and, yeah. and if you just got to explain it to them at the end of the day, what was the point in, in having yeah. it in there? It, yeah. You can be tearing out what hair you've got left. You can be tearing it out. You know what I mean? Yeah, man, I haven't got that much left, to be honest. So I can't afford to spend it on mystery. <laughs> well, it's all them, it's all them what, years what, of running, running <laughs> mysteries. That's what's done it. But, um, <laughs> I think the your green kids and your green <laughs> yeah, this and that. exactly, but it's all that gloomium exposure. That's what it is. That's what it is. But um, no, I mean, I think that the mystery plot lines can be quite difficult to run. And another reason mm. for that is obviously the the characters themselves. The the mystery is presumably like quite important to them because they're investigating it and they're sort of doing it in a fairly sequential fashion. Whereas in reality, for the players, it might have taken three or four sessions. You might have had a week, maybe more, in between those sessions. Yeah. They've got other actual important stuff in their life they going forget, on. Don't they? Yeah, and it, and it's dead easy to just like forget if it's just like a little detail or a little clue. It's dead easy to forget that, even and, if you make and, notes. And, and I tell you another one: when you set your mystery up, and then the players come up with something, and you think, "Shit, that's better than what I thought." I'm going with what they said. I was going to say, I would change that shit in a heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think you, you lot are clever. You, you thought the same thing as me. <laughs> I go one. I go one further than that. I don't have any bloody mysteries. It's just mm. all weird shit. The players <laughs> have to work it out for themselves. It's interesting that you say that, Dave, but I was thinking them two green kids probably wouldn't be the focus of one of my adventures. They'd just be something that was going on. They'd be in the background kind of thing, and 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 they they would they wouldn't be perhaps a mystery to be solved. They'd just be something that adds that extra dimension to your your setting, so that people are constantly they pop up or. The, the villagers are talking about it and the characters keep going, you yeah. know, what's what's up with them green kids? But it never really actually comes into the adventure or whatever. It just lurks around. Yeah. So I was I was thinking they'd make a nice kind of extended task, yeah, because the, 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 the detail we haven't picked up on is this, this babble. You know, they lock into a whole bunch of feral children myths as well. I mean, that goes all the way back. There's, there's, there's bits in bead about uh, people not being able to speak and then being brought into speech. And there's Caspar Hauser as well. So I love that idea that, you know, you can't use your spell. So you've got these children, they're trying to tell you something, they're babbling something, but you don't know what it is. So if you've got a character, we we're talking about characters excelling out of combat. You know, if you've got a scholarly character, then you might have someone who could devote an extended task they still be in the adventure, but they're also building this relationship with these kids, gradually teaching them to speak. And as they learn to speak, they can reveal a little bit about the big plot or about where they've come from. Yeah. Um, and perhaps, they perhaps turn they even to transform morally. So as they learn as they learn this new speech, they, they begin to realise things about their nature and what they are. They can begin to be challenged. Yeah, I mean, um, I think um, Uncle Jay Raz mentioned it in the Twitch show. We were saying, oh, let's say, in OSR or ICRPG, what sort of mechanics would you use? 
Now, obviously, you do have the... And I know there's other games that have this, but you do have, like, the the sort of idea of effort in ICRPG, which, for anyone who's not familiar with that, is effectively non-combat challenges are resolved in a similar way to combat challenges. So we all know combat in sort of standard-style D&D. You roll a D20 to try and, like, hit... If you succeed, you roll your damage dice. That gets deducted from the opponent's hit points. Now, in ICRPG, if you were trying to break into a chest or break down a door, that challenge would be given like a number of hit points, effectively. You make your roll to try and batter down the door or defuse the lock or the bomb or whatever. And when you succeed, you roll your effort dice and that deducts from the task's hit points. So when you get to zero, you've popped open the chest, you've broke down the door, you've diffused the bomb, whatever. I think that could be used in that sort of extended test style that you were talking about, Dave, to to sort of solve... I mean, I wouldn't do it for like a whole mystery, but perhaps to solve particular facets of it, that could quite easily be used. Especially if they're under pressure, you know, at the same time as doing it as well. Great way of doing it in Numenera. Yeah. You can make it for an XP. Give me an XP. I'll give yeah. you the clue. I'll tell you what, what to what do. The, or, the player spends it, their XP. Yeah. 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 Make it cost XP. Or if you've or if you've got an extended task, it's not strictly in the rules, but I think it's in the spirit of the rules. If you've got an extended task, so so say they were involved in sort of teaching these children, spending some time. If they were devoting mental energy to it, then I might decrease their intellect pool for the duration. So yeah, their intellect yeah, pool yeah. Ma- maximum goes down because they've devoted that mental yeah. energy. Yeah, I was going to say, and then in Savage Worlds, you've got the the old dramatic tasks. I don't know if you've played that. Yeah. You, yeah. you can do your dramatic tasks so that the players explain how they, how they do it. And it's a similar way to, to effort, isn't it? You're, you're rolling your number of success is to succeed at, at, at the challenge yeah i mean mo- most games have some sort of like extended task resolution system mm. in them yeah clocks john harper's use. clocks yeah, yeah. yeah. I-, I was going to say as well one of the other things I-, I would i quite often do in a mystery is give it some sort of time limit or something yeah. that places mm. like an impetus to to resolve it in a timely fashion you need to make sure the the player characters actually have like a legitimate reason for wanting to get involved in this rather than yeah, just a case of like oh, yeah. i'll get involved with this just because it's a mystery that the gm's well, got I, I was going to say as well a big consequence is if, if they don't do it in time as well so that moves something that moves the story on which is the classic sort of serial killer before they strike again yeah. you're always going to get the clue at the end of the scene but the issue is whether you whether you're ahead of the game or whether yeah. you're too late again that's yeah, it that's yeah nice. yeah someone that's else nice. dies and a little bit more of the the, the, the mystery yeah. is revealed I, th- I think to come back to clues one of the things i always try and do as well as having like multiple like, redundant clues that can be bought in if needed is have a number of sort of like floating clues whether that's npcs or whatever that aren't tied to specific events so ones that you can like easily slot into different places if the if the players stall or the pace of the game stalls you know but and obviously you don't want to be a stereotypical as like an npc comes in and goes well i think we should do this <laughs> but you know if you've if they're sort of um if they're like oh we found this arcane writing and we can't work out what it is maybe they overhear someone saying there's like a learned scholar somewhere and they've got to go and deal with him have a bit of a sort of social encounter i've got another one for you how many times have you seen people take the idea out of like a crime novel or something or this idea of the red herring mm-hmm. And that can that can go bad very quickly because it's the last thing you really want is people to go off following a red herring. And if if you're not super cautious, you're gonna um, you're gonna cut your own throat with those red herrings. 
So I'm with you. And I think it depends whether it's central or not, because a red herring mm. can be fun. Like that realisation oh, yeah. that you've been onto the wrong thing the whole time can be fun. You're absolutely right. But you don't want it to lead to frustration. So I think a, yeah. a red herring when it's not a central plot element is brilliant. But yeah, as you were saying, John, that, that that's the advice. Mm. I think Lazy DM gives it. They give it in Numenera as well, where they just say, look, if the players are going, look over there, that guy over there, yeah. he, should be able, he should be able to give us the key because he's got this interesting feature and that interesting feature. Yeah, so you don't lock the key to a particular location. You've decided somewhere else yeah. but if it's that interesting and, and it's not it doesn't seem like fun that it'll be a red herring because you think where's the session need to go actually they do need to get to that next bit because they've got another clue to get then yeah he's the one with the key and you 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 just you 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 alter your world to suit their expectations because yeah. it's just quicker it, it's the quantum clue though then you've got the quantum clue and the quantum <laughs> some people get really upset about that quantum stuff think, think is, though, i was going to say yeah, oh, how yeah, is anyone going to know i mean oh, we, no. we've got um in the in the twitch chat we've got maliath 1742 says player paranoia can lead to great narrative and that's absolutely right i mean i've run sort of a few mystery plot lines where i'll make some throwaway comment like oh yeah this this noble man like he's a bit pale looking and people be like is a vampire yeah. <laughs> and like he may not have been but I'll, I'll be like that I'm index card game best believe he is now <laughs> yeah and uh I, I know like players sort of get used to that bit and how many times have you heard it when like a player will say like oh what if this is going to happen if the players will be like shut up don't give yeah, the GM yeah. any ideas yeah yeah and, but much as like if, if you're a bit clumsy with it people can get a bit sort of uppity about the whole like quantum clue sort of thing if, it, if it's done a little bit subtly and everyone's buying into it and they're just having fun and they're playing I think at the end when they can get to the end and go, ah, look, I told you it was a vampire behind yeah. it. Called it. Then yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm dead. I'm a little bit on the fence. I have to say, I can see, I can see both angles. That's probably the the way I will go. Is I will always have a bit of both going on. You know, I will have stuff that I, I want to be pretty concrete, and then there will be stuff that that will be more flexible and reacting to the players. Because I think if you go either way to each end of the, of the spectrum, it's probably not so good. And somewhere down the middle is probably about right. Yeah, I mean, like like anything when you're at GM, you have to exercise your judgment a little bit. I mean, if you start off by going, oh, here's a mystery. There's like a mysterious sort of burnt circle of trees in a forest. And someone just randomly goes, oh, someone's obviously summoned a fire elemental here with like no other like reason. You might be like, well, that's probably not going to be the case. But I think as Pete and as Dave were saying, if the players come up with something that's reasonable and it's an interesting idea, or sometimes even better than like what you've got planned originally, then if even if you don't go the whole way and say, yes, that's 100% right, if you sort of work that into your narrative or your plot of what's going on, then the players get a sense of achievement from it, and you might actually get a better story than the one you originally planned for. And as long as everyone's having... I know it sounds a bit trite, but as long as everyone's having fun and enjoying themselves, at the end of the day, what does it really matter to me if it turns out that it's they didn't realise it was like the scheming alderman? It, it's now actually like a vampiric noble who's doing the mystery. It, it's no skin off my nose at the end of the day, as long as everyone enjoys the session. I think I could say we should put a pin in that. We, oh. should put, we should put a pin <laughs> in go. the, the it's quantum... It's only taken 48 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the quantum condition, whatever that is. The quantum fill blank. So, so if it ma- wasn't for those pesky kids... Aside from the mystery plot, line, I think the other ways in which this sort of like green children myth could be useful, um, as Dave was saying, in the sort of folktale, the young girl becomes like a normal person. And in some versions of the myth, she goes on to have a number of children 
all of whom are perfectly normal, but they're described as sort of being, well, they're described as wanton in their behaviour. You know, they're not typical sort of like good church-going folk. There's a bit of like the wild about them, which, again, you could tie into the green coloration, because as Dave was saying, that can link to the wilds and the fae and numerous other things. But I was thinking that in sort of like later versions of D&D, particularly like in 5th edition and stuff like that, there's a number of different um, character races that are sort of human, but with a bit of like infernal or a bit of divine or elemental heritage. Perhaps in a game, sort of like people like this, this sort of folk legend could be a useful justification for some of these like plain touched races existing. Yeah, definitely. I think you could you could do that for sure. Another thing is, uh, as Dave was saying earlier, okay, so these two children have come from their homeland, this St. Martin's land. No one really knows where it is. Even if they, the children have eventually gone on to forget all about that, there's nothing to say that the people in St. Martin's land, whoever they are, have forgotten about the, the children. So you can imagine like having a scenario where perhaps a few years later, the, a party of like green-coloured noblemen arrive from this strange land looking after their lost ward. Maybe they're a cons- concerned parent maybe she was royalty whatever i mean perhaps they even come peacefully or if they arrive and go like oh this is clearly the person we're looking for but she's not green anymore and she seems to have gotten all about heritage do they assume that like the people of your campaign world have brainwashed her in a sense or sort of corrupted her somehow yeah yeah done some mischief to her yeah yeah. and how do they then react to that potentially you've got i mean it could potentially obviously evolve into sort of like a combat slash war scenario but you've also potentially got that whole sort of diplomatic tension so i think that could be quite interesting and of course i mean the the final thing is obviously if you've got players who are capable of jumping between planes or they investigate and they find the way back to this st martin's land you've got like a whole new plane which the player characters can now sort of go into and explore uh yeah you're right i was was just gonna say the um the difficult choice that you could present players with you know we've got children yeah. here you know, lots of difficult choices there you know if they turn out to be you know some kind of mutant weapon or some kind of advance force um going back to pete's uh, connecting it with village of the damned or midwich cuckoos you know if it turns out that they've got this world ending power then and and you've had the players develop this relationship with them then then you've got that difficult situation haven't you of them having to defend these Mm. dangerous children against the various forces that are going to come for them which i think is nice one of those twist the knife type decisions you know well we're not going to do it oh they're children but um but someone's coming to do it what do we do about that so that's it for this episode of Purple Worm. Many thanks to my co-hosts, Dave Aldridge of Deeper Centaur, Pete Jones of Dragons Are Real, and of course, Colin Green from Spike Pit. I've been John from Red Dice Diaries. We hope you've enjoyed this. If you want to get in touch with us, you can leave us a voicemail message on Anchor, or you can drop us an email, purplewormpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you again, take care, stay safe, and keep gaming and watch out for those purple worms.